0: This is Popular Front, a podcast focused on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict with me, Jake Hanrahan. In this episode, we're speaking to journalist Henry Wilkins about the recent military coup in the African country of Burkina Faso and what a conflict there might mean for the surrounding regions. We talk about Russia, the military vigilantes, the tribal animist militias, all sorts. This is a region that very rarely gets enough coverage, but it's very interesting either way. Remember, here at Popular Front, we are completely independent, grassroots. If you like what we're doing and you want extra content, please support us at patreon.com slash popularfront. So January 23rd, there was this this military coup in, um, in Burkina Faso. Maybe just uh, take us through that. What actually happened? What led up to this? You know, wh- why did it happen?
1: So yeah, I mean, twenty third um, Sunday. I mean, woke up in in the morning uh, to to hear that there had been reports overnight of uh, of gunfire at the largest military base in in Wagadougou, which is the the capital of uh, of Burkina Faso yeah so you know went down there the uh, the military had taken over the entire the entire base basically myself and another another journalist uh went down there uh they were we could hear gunfire coming from inside the the base um Initially, and we thought, you know, perhaps there was uh, there were gunfights going on inside between uh, troops that were were loyal to the government and troops that, that were mutinying. Basically, um, so we uh, we tried to we tried to get a little bit closer. Went up to an overpass next to the base, which um, uh, which uh, uh, sort of gave a bit of a view of what was going on and did some filming from there. Then we were actually stopped by. Uh, some of the, the mutineers who fired, um, uh, who fired, you know, warning shots in the, in the air, mm. took our camera equipment and so on, uh, and actually took us inside the, the base, um, detained us for about half an hour, took us inside the base where, where the mutiny had, uh, had started and, um yeah as its i mean initially we were thinking obviously that we've been being taken hostage or you know we're going to be t- detained for for a lot longer than we were, but it turned out the uh mutineers were media savvy enough to put one of their their spokespeople on the phone to us and um uh give us a list of their demands what they what they wanted to see from the government now these these demands they included uh more soldiers to help fight the, the the war between uh armed groups linked to islamic state and al-qaeda in the the north and east of the country especially uh better equipment better treatment of uh of colleagues to um uh families of colleagues who who, who died in the war as well you know in many ways, sort of fairly reasonable um, uh, demands, and then they 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 released us with these with these demands to go and uh, and broadcast. And then, you know, the, the, this was on the Sunday. It wasn't that, that that it wasn't really until the Monday that the um, uh, that the, uh, the the coup makers managed to managed to actually take power. So they were initially people were were thinking it was uh just a mutiny and it perhaps wasn't a a full-on coup but then throughout the night um between the uh the sunday and the monday the uh uh the mutinous soldiers they they locked down the area around the presidential palace um and went in search of, the, of the, the president, President rock Gaboré, who was ousted um, in the coup. Uh, so they were apparently looking for him all night. There were helicopters circling around the area of the presidential palace myself. And um, uh, and another journalist managed to, to get into that area and sort of see what was going on. This uh, special forces unit called Cobra Unit Um which played a big part in uh in actually carrying out the coup had sort of set up checkpoints on on various ra- roads around the, the presidential palace and so on uh and they they attacked what they thought was the president's uh armored vehicles as well uh the next day um in the morning vehicles were found sort of shot up with uh you know with blood on on the seats and so on as it turned out the president wasn't in the convoy we don't think uh it was but at least four of his presidential guards were injured in in that attack Mm. so um yeah by monday uh we woke up and uh and found that the that the military had taken control of the the state broadcaster rtb um and we were you know throughout the day really expecting um there to be the, you know, the, the the kind of cliched announcement on, on national television where a guy in fatigues kind of comes on, on TV and, uh, you know, and announces that the the military has taken power. Uh, and that didn't. Yeah. In the evening actually, which was the point where, you know, the coup was sort of signed, sealed and and delivered as it were. Um, so yeah, really in, in the short term, it really unfolded over, over two days, but, uh, uh, but once the the military had taken power, they didn't really really come up against any resistance. So, yeah. Anyway, that was kind of what happened um, with the coup itself. Going back a little bit, um, I think we can we can see the beginnings of this coup kind of six years back um, when Burkina Faso's war with armed groups linked to Islamic State and Al Qaeda uh, started. So there's been a conflict in there's been a conflict in Mali which is just north of Burkina Faso borders um uh on, on Burkina Faso's northern border uh for for a decade now and uh there's been a Islamist insurgency there but until um sort of late 2015 early 2016 that conflict it never spilled over the border into Burkina Faso so the the, the change that sort of Made the the conflict spread from Mali um, into Burkina Faso was the the fact that there was actually a, a, a popular uprising in 2014 in Burkina Faso, which saw the former uh, military dictator of Burkina Faso Blaise Compaore. Uh, thrown out of power uh he'd been in power for for 27 years um and with that came a transition period of uh of, of a year and then there were properly democratic elections for the first time in burkina faso's uh history since since independence uh back in the 60s and um yeah so so there, there was the first democratic president in burkina faso was elected rock um rock kabore but unfortunately, uh, as the, the the first the the military dictator was was thrown out, this um, this Blaise Compore, the former the former dictator, he had a well documented non aggression pact with the terrorist groups that were operating over the border in. Um, in mali whereby uh the the terror groups who were fighting their war against the the the, the malian government would basically uh come over the border into burkina faso for r and r rest and rest and recuperation they'd be given safe haven in burkina faso so they could take a break from the fighting and in return they agreed not to carry out attacks within burkina faso's borders uh so the former dictator, although not democratic, obviously he did have this very developed kind of security apparatus and these mm. relationships with the armed groups um, that were operating in the, the uh, over the border in Mali, which just was along with his his rule when it was, was swept away. So was, so was this security apparatus. Now the the, the democratic president, rock Kabore, he uh, was not from a military background at all. Uh, the the guy who he selected as his um, his minister of uh, of defence was was in fact a former journalist, not a not a military person at all either. So um, you know, as soon as as soon as Kabore came to power, these attacks uh, in Burkina Faso by armed groups linked to Islamic State and Al Qaeda just began to snowball really at first in the in the north of the country. Um They took advantage of uh, of a lack of of development. The the north of the country is uh, is is quite remote, very uh, very rural. Uh, There's there's been very little in terms of infrastructure built there. The government always kind of saw it as a place where there weren't many, uh, there there wasn't much by way of natural resources or anything. So it wasn't really worth part of the country. And of course, this kind of Uh, state of affairs is like it's fertile ground for um for jihadist groups to to start recruiting you know there are a lot of people who were who are angry at the government and uh had 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 enough of of being neglected so you know really this um these attacks started to to develop and you know armed groups started coming over from from mali uh riding into villages usually on motorbikes that tends to be the way that the the terrorist groups uh, get get around in this this part of the world they'd ride into villages you know preach in the uh in the local mosques uh try to implement sort of elements of of sharia law and you know burkina faso is not a it's not 60 percent muslim but the uh The other 40%, you know, mostly Christians and then a few sort of animists and so on. So it's not like a a, a fundamentally um, Muslim country. So, you know, it's quite liberal in many ways. You know, people aren't uh, certainly... you know, close to close to sort of living under uh, conditions of of, uh, of Sharia law. So mm-hmm. you know, people weren't doing what uh, what these these terrorists wanted them to, i.e., not drinking alcohol, uh, things like that. You know, they, often the, the, the armed groups would come into the towns and burn down alcohol shops or brothels, things like that. Um, but the yeah, I mean, culturally, you know, people are, as I say, quite liberal here in so it, it, it it didn't work. I mean, when these, when when the terror groups tried to implement these rules, um, they they would come back and you know threaten them with violence when when they weren't followed, and as that would escalate, uh, they they would eventually come back and start killing people. I mean, really the. The modus operandi of these these terror groups in um, in the north of the country and and now the east of the country as well is to just ride into these into these villages and uh, and, and massacre people for want of a of a better way of. Um, of putting it so so yeah this this all started in the north around 2015 2016 and then uh by 2019 it spread to the east of the country it's now spreading to the uh to the south of the country as well so there's really this kind of bubble in the centre of the country where the capital, Wagadougou, and the the, the country's second city, Bobo de Alasso, that is kind of the only only properly secure place uh, left in the country now as these armed groups have kind of slowly taken over over the last six years. So um, bringing it a bit closer to the coup, so last year saw um, two really, really significant events. So the first one was... um, Solhan, which was a, a massacre of 160 people, at least 160 people. The the authorities. Um uh did make it difficult for journalists to to get in there and, and try to work out exactly how many people have been killed but at least 160 people were massacred at a, at a, at a uh, artisanal gold mine in uh in the north of the country so you know there's there is quite a lot of gold in Burkina Fata is the country's uh major export so I'm sure you may well have seen like images of uh of these very informal sort of gold mines in Africa where really people just kind of rock up and dig holes with with hand tools and so on uh to to search for just enough gold to kind of eke out a living and the jihadists are um drawn to these these mines in in Burkina Faso because they're a source of of funding they can they can implement a, a tax uh on these um On these gold mines, but anyway, this, this, this one particular, uh, gold mine, it was believed that there was some dispute over who controlled the, uh, over who controlled the mine or who, you know, took the, the, the kind of protection money for the, for the, for the mine, if, uh, if, if you wanted to put it that way, but, uh, yeah. And they rode into, they, they came into the, uh, into the mine in, uh, one night and killed, um you know, anybody in sight, really. Apparently, this attack was uh, also carried out by quite a large number of child soldiers who'd been recruited by the uh, jihadists as well. So, um, you know, so this was the largest single attack that Burkina Faso had seen since its six-year conflict began. Uh, and it really sent sort of shockwaves through, through the country. I mean, you know, to a degree uh, I think before that, there had always been this kind of sense that the conflict was something that was happening out in the in the countryside, and the government had done kind of quite a lot as well to kind of maintain these security bubbles around the, the larger towns and cities and so on. But when Solhan happened, it, it really changed. Um, I think the the minds of, of people who hadn't necessarily had first hand experience of the conflict because they lived in in the towns and cities and so on it really sort of brought it home to them and then getting even closer to the coup. So in November last year, there was a, another major attack in the North of the, the country in a, um, in a remote military outpost called innata where 49 military personnel were killed after an uh, armed group, probably linked to Al Qaeda, uh, overran the base and uh, again basically massacred um, the military personnel who were who were stationed there. So it later, this attack. Took place again. This was the, the the biggest single attack on security forces that had happened in Burkina Faso since the conflict began. Uh, but it transpired that two weeks later, the. Um the base hadn't been supplied with with food for two weeks so the uh the the soldiers who were stationed there they'd been having to, to to leave the base to go out and like hunt for for food um and again i mean this just raised massive questions about how uh capable the 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 government was in terms of dealing with um in terms of dealing with the security situation uh, so the at that point, there were protests, you know, t- people turned out on the streets of Wagadougou, the police very quickly. The, the protests were banned by the government, but people turned out anyway. But within half an hour of people meeting, um, they were tear-gassed, journalists were tear-gassed, myself included, and... Um, so the government really did everything it could including shutting down the internet to try to stop these these protests from happening because you know they thought that it could they could indeed sort of lead to a to a coup um and then shortly after these protests the the president he sacked a lot of the uh top military leadership uh which was an attempt to try and sort of stave off criticism, but at the same time it it kind of caused quite a lot of bad blood um, between him and the military, which would later... Later on, come back to to bite him, uh, and he also sacked um, his cabinet as well, and and had a major major reshuffle there. So he bought himself a little bit of of time with that. But then, uh, about a week before the coup actually happened, there was a there was an alleged foiled coup attempt where eight members of the of the military were arrested for apparently plotting to overthrow the president. And then, sure enough, on twenty um, third, as you say, the, the mutiny started after you know weeks really of, of time. Uh, so yeah, that kind of takes us up to the to the present day. Sorry, that was a super long winded answer.
0: No, no. I mean, you got to remember this is a place that a lot of people just don't know about, so it's really useful to get your um, thoughts on it, especially like seeing as you were on the ground. I'm not one of these people that is like Russia is behind everything. Like that's such a ridiculous, boring thing we see mostly uh, in US media. However, there were people out in the streets with Russian flags um, after the coup, and there's quite a lot of talk that Russia has some kind of involvement with the coup plotters and the junta. Um, What do you make of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all really new at the moment. The so Russia has. certainly had some interest in Mali over the border and that's been something that's that's brewing been brewing for, for some months or, or even years. Um they did read Wagner the uh uh the private security group with with close links to the Kremlin has deployed in neighboring Mali in, in uh January last well, month. So yeah exactly. Uh so so yeah I mean there there they hadn't Leading up to the coup, there hadn't been the same level of interest uh, for Russia in Burkina Faso. We we hadn't really seen much by way of um, uh, by way of yeah, Russian interest in, in Burkina Faso or people really talking about uh, Russia as a possible uh, international military partner as well. But I do think what happened um, as soon as the coup happened was that the, but Russia kind of saw it as an opportunity um, we did as you say see people the day after the coup was confirmed um, uh, demonstrations to celebrate the coup waving Russian flags and so on um, how they got those Russian flags is a uh, um, you know I, I wouldn't want to speculate there but I mean it was uh, it did seem odd that, that, that there were people turning up with those with those flags, um, and there was a story in the Daily Beast as well, saying that uh, the the military commander who took power in Burkina Faso, Paul Henri Damiba, uh, had persuaded or tried to persuade the the former president Kabore to accept uh, military help from Russia twice before the coup actually happened. Now, uh, that story, I mean, it caused quite a big it caused quite a big stir. I'm not totally convinced how bona fide that story is. I think mm. it, um, uh, I think it may, the sources aren't really clear in it. The sources aren't really clear. I'll say that much.
0: No, no, I agree. Da- Daily beast also as well, kind of ranges from really good to really weird <laughs> articles. You know, I mean, as you know yeah, I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I think it, uh, yeah, it was pretty pretty sensational if it is true, but I'm I'm sceptical uh, as to whether it is, to be honest. Um, but then the other thing which which happened was that the uh, the day after the coup, or the week that the coup happened, at least the uh, uh, the person in charge of of training military officers in uh, Central African Republic, which is a country where Russia has been giving military assistance for a long time now. Uh, sent an open letter, uh, or published an open letter to Burkina Faso, saying, you know, basically, if you want uh, help from Russia, we're we're here to to offer it. So, I think probably what we're what we're looking at is um, Russia seeing what's happened in Burkina Faso recently as uh, an opportunity and the beginning of what could turn into a Russian military presence in, in Burkina Faso or certainly more Russian influence in Burkina Faso.
0: Yeah. So um, it's been, it's been what, like two or three weeks now since this coup, um, two weeks. What, what, what's the current situation now on the ground?
1: Yeah. I mean, as I said, the, the day after the coup, there was a, a demonstration to celebrate. There were probably two, 3000 people out on the, on the streets that day. Um, you know, otherwise things on the streets of Wagadougou have have ter- returned to normal really. There's not really a, a a larger military presence than you would uh than you would normally see. Um yeah, the the streets are calm, but I mean obviously the uh the, the politics of the country are very, very much up in the air. So as I said, the the uh, the country. So the guy who led the coup is Paul Henri Damiba. So he's an infantry commander who wasn't very well known in public, but was quite well known uh, within the within the military. Um, he's actually written a book last year about how uh, militaries in the Sahel should be responding to the terrorist uh, organisations that uh, uh, that are present here and. Um, that kind of gives us some, some clues as to, you know, as to the direction that he, uh, might be taking things in. But, um, I think something that's really important to remember is that they did at the, at the moment they are trying to give the impression that they are, uh, willing to work kind of multilaterally with, um, with uh international partners and and with kind of power brokers uh nationally nationally as well but um we saw this in mali where a military uh where the military took over uh back in 2020 where they sort of paid lip service initially to uh moving towards elections they elected a uh, or they selected a um a civilian uh, transitional president to, uh, to, to to take them towards um, uh, elections there. But then uh, last year, they actually kicked out that president and, and just went into full military rule. Um, so, yeah, I, I dare say what might be happening here in Burkina Faso is that the uh, the new military government is trying to buy themselves some time by telling, like, the, the ECOWAS, the, the West African political bloc, that they're willing to work with them and move towards democratic elections, which is what um, ECOWAS is, is is pushing them for. Uh, and, yeah, so uh, at the moment it seems like they... they at least ostensibly are heading in that direction. But I I think probably what we're going to see is that uh these elections don't materialize in um in good time and we will start seeing uh the government start to become more autocratic.
0: So it doesn't look like there's a real roadmap back to democracy then?
1: No at the moment. I mean they they've they've elected they've selected a, a committee who's going to I think selects another committee that's actually going to take care of the transition. So, you know, I think they're, they're sort of making noises in that direction, but I dare say it's uh, it's kind of smoke and mirrors. I think um, the, I mean, what's happened in Mali is that they have uh, they've asked for, well, they, initially they said they were going to hold elections within within one year. That's now changed to uh, to five years, a five-year transition period. It's
0: exactly the same thing that happened in Myanmar. You know, the military came and they said, yeah, give us yeah. a year, actually two, no three, no four. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah it doesn't look good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, I mean, in, in Mali, they say they want to stabilise security before they can hold proper uh, democratic elections, and you know, as a result, they've now that they've asked for this five-year transition period, they have received sanctions from ECOWAS, the West African political bloc, um, which is the, these are recent, and we are sort of yet to see the, the the full effects of them. But I mean, you know, Mali is already one of the poorest countries in in the world, and uh, it's it's obviously going to be the Malian people and the poorest Malian people that that suffer the most, and I think. Um, um, you know we could very easily see things going in the same direction in Burkina Faso you know possibly even within this year i think we we could see sanctions and um i think something else we we might see as well is um uh although the at the moment the government has has really got a lot of support i mean people even people I've spoken to who came out onto the streets in 2014 to fight for democracy in this in this popular up- uprising, um, even they now are saying, you know, democracy hasn't worked for us. The security situation hasn't gotten any better. Um, we want to give a military military rule a try, and they've the the, the military junta. I mean, they've got massive public support at the moment but i think this is probably going to ebb away uh, because i don't really think that the that the junta is going to be any more capable of sorting out the security problems than uh the democratic government were i think the the military is so small and so under resourced they can't be everywhere at once and you know already the U.S., which is the largest um, foreign donor to Burkina Faso, who may also give military aid, so uh, are looking at pulling funding. There's there's a U.S. law that says that you know if a, a, a civilian government has been overthrown by undemocratic means, then then they're not allowed to give uh, anything but humanitarian aid to to such a country and uh the you know the other big military partner in burkina faso is uh, is france and they have they offer uh, intelligence and air support to the Burkina government there aren't actually that many troops on the ground in Burkina Faso apart from a special forces unit on the outskirts of Ouagadougou but in in Mali just going back to Mali is that kind of reference point which seems to be sort of a year or two ahead of of Burkina Faso perhaps the the French are looking at leaving um as the, the government takes a much more uh, skeptical approach to uh, to the international military partners that have been in the region for, for a few few years now. So you know if we if the same thing happens in Burkina Faso where they start where the, the junta starts turning away from the military partners that it has at the moment, perhaps more towards russia i don't think that's actually going to help the security situation at all i think it's actually going to make things worse so i think as it becomes clear the 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 government or the junta isn't going to be able to sort out these security problems i think that public support is going to fall away pretty quickly Um, which, again, I think means we could see the the Junta becoming more autocratic as it tries to hold on to to power.
0: Right. And in terms of the kind of appetite for uprising and what have you, what would you say the country is like there? I really don't know enough about the kind of cultural aspects. Do you think that, you know, that's the sort of thing people might do if they get sick of this? Like, you know, will armed groups form? Are there enough weapons? Um, What's the lay of the land in that
1: respect? yeah i mean so so yes there is definitely a big culture of protest in in burkina faso i mean as i said in back in 2014 there was uh, the the popular uprising which which brought democracy to the country that was that was led by a um a civil society group called the citizens broom which is led by this this french buccanabe rapper called uh called smoky and he um uh, and and the organisation citizens' broom. I mean, they're they're really the ones that that got people out onto the street and got rid of this president um, or dictator who'd been been in power for for 27 years. And uh, yeah, I mean the, the the culture's the culture's definitely there. Uh, that said, I mean, like the citizens' broom that played such a big part in 2014, have been totally silent over the last few few months um, as these protests against the former government uh, and insecurity happened. They said they were against them, and I think, you know, I think to a certain degree that uh, the citizens' broom kind of saw what saw these protests against the, the democratic government leading to a coup and the loss of democracy that they had, had fought for back in back in 2014 so they've kind of they've kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit now uh, and have been replaced by these these kind of pro coup um Movements like the move the movement to save Burkina Faso is the uh is the biggest is the biggest one and but you know although these although this this movement to save Burkina Faso is like very supportive of the coup at the moment and led in some ways helped it to get to power even some people from from those movements have said that they if they don't see the military um sorting out the security problems then then they could take to the streets again you know they've, they've already said this so yeah i think they they definitely could um be you know further uprisings maybe even further coups i think it all depends um how whether or not the the the, the junta can deal with the security problems or, or you know if they can't deal with the security problems how autocratic they're willing to become in order to to hold on to power. I mean it could be that that we see protests again in like a year's time which which get sort of brutally suppressed. It wouldn't be uh, a surprise to me. So to to your question as to to armed groups, I mean there is um There is already a. uh, There are already big vigilante groups and militias in Burkina Faso. It's uh, it's a big part. It's a big part of the of the security sort of makeup here. So there's the uh, uh, the and the uh, in the mostly in the north of the country and east of the country and the Dozos in the uh, the south of the country. So these are uh, groups that have have sprung up in parts of the country where there was very little state control. Um, And, you know, people, if say somebody had a chicken stolen, for example, you couldn't go to the, to the local police station because the local police stations 30 miles away or whatever. So, you know, you get these guys from your, from your village to kind of uh, dispense some some vigilante justice, basically, and these these groups have popped up all over Burkina Faso in the last uh, seven to go the uh the government actually backed them and started arming and training them I mean, the, the 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 army uh and the, the gendarmerie there's there's a french system here where the the military is divided up into into the army and the uh the, the gendarmerie which is like the, the military police um they uh, they weren't able to deal with the with the security problems themselves. So the government took a really controversial move uh, by passing a law which uh, which basically officially recognised these these Koguriegos and dozos. Uh, they they tried to say that the law wasn't to do that. They said that they were picking people from outside of the these groups to to join, but it wasn't actually the case. Um, and, uh, and yeah, they, they, they started training, giving them 14 days uh, training, 10 to 14 days training uh, from the gendarmes and giving them uh, automatic weapons and, and sending them out into the countryside with the army. And now they sort of play a role of, uh, of guides. To the military, so the military often come from other parts of the country, whereas Coguiego and Dozo's are local to the area where the where the army is deployed, and obviously know the, the terrain and uh, and so on. But we're also hearing that, uh, although this is this has kind of diminished in in recent months a little bit, but there's um, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, persecution that goes on in Burkina Faso towards the Fulani ethnic group. So the Fulani ethnic group is um, a group of millions of, of people found all over West Africa who are traditional herders. So, uh, uh, so nomadic, um, and uh, and it's there's a there's a popular misconception here in Burkina Faso that Fulani people are the ones who are carrying out the, uh, the terrorist attacks. So uh, there's there's been persecution of uh, Fulani communities, including extrajudicial killings. It seems of these these militias, these government-backed Cogluiegos, at least at the beginning, was that they were, um, the military and the gendarmerie were kind of outsourcing the killing uh, of these these Fulani people, the extrajudicial killings of of the Fulani people to these militia groups. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've they've really played, the Cogluiego and the Dozo have really played a big role role um in the the conflict here in in Burkina Faso probably only gonna gonna uh play an extended a more even more extended role sort of as uh as the new junta tries to to beef up security but i mean the, the dozos down, not not the the Kukulegos are more of a kind of recent uh thing that have only, that's only sprung up in the last few years but the dozos are these kind of traditional warriors who've uh who've been traditional hunters who've been around for for you know for decades or possibly even hundreds of years and they have all these kind of animist beliefs where they uh when they go into battle they wear uh uh clothes that are kind of imbued with with black magic and that they think will make Bullets fly around them, and they have all these kind of unusual uh, ceremonies as well, which which kind of go hand in hand with the uh, uh, with the fighting. But this this is more in the the south of the of the country where the conflict is just starting to develop, really. But already there, we're starting to see um, Dozo's committing uh, human rights abuses towards the, the Fulani community, and that. Area of the of the country as well. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's um, there's definitely a culture of protest and taking absolutely uh, a culture of these these kind of armed groups and and vigilantes taking security matters into their into their own hands as well.
0: You talk about the Dozo there. How much fighting do they actually do? I mean, I've heard people say, yeah, they're they're out there fighting the the jihadist groups and various other people. But from what I've heard, they don't actually do that much fighting. What, what's what's the deal with them?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know so much in in Burkina Faso. I think at the moment they're they're not really doing that much fighting, just yeah. simply because the uh, the the uh, the conflict in the south of the country is still kind of at, at the. I don't want to say embryonic stage. I mean, it's like, you know, it's definitely happening, but it's, it's still quite small compared to, um, uh, compared to the East and the, and the North of the country. I mean, you find the dozos in, in Mali as well, which is less my, my area of expertise. So I'm not entirely sure how much fighting they do over there, but I, what I can speak to is the Cogriegos and they do, uh, they do really go to battle with the, uh, with the military and, you know, on a, Weekly, sometimes almost daily basis, there are reports wow, okay. of, of um, you know, being killed or, or at least involved in uh, uh, in, in battles with the, the terrorist groups. I mean, I've met many of the Kogriegos, uh many Cogriegos myself, uh, who have now joined this kind of government-backed militia, and you know, they're they're they're, they're definitely out there in the field and, and are and are fighting.
0: Uh, in terms of civilians, what's the kind of feeling now? Um, now that there's been this junta, now that there's a very real possibility of extended fighting again, what's their kind of reaction to all of this? Are they just kind of right another, you know, another bad situation, getting on with it, or, or what?
1: No, I don't think so. I think the uh, I think um, the, the the kind of public opinion towards the junta at the moment is one of is a positive one, and you know, I think to- really. People, some some hope. You know, a, a phrase that I keep hearing is something had to change. Um, this this whole thing that I talked about of there being this kind of kind of security bubbles around the the big cities and the towns and so on, you can't really go. Um, much further than say 100 kilometers from from Wagadougou without you know having to uh, risk running into to a terrorist checkpoint. You know the, the 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 military does have a degree of control out in um, in parts of the countryside and so on, but there are others other parts of the countryside where there's you know where there's none. It's just under terrorist terrorist control, and um, I think people are really really sick of that. Um, you know, Burkina Faso is not uh, a country that it's had a lot of coups, but it's never really had a war. It's never had a civil war, as many uh, African countries have. Uh, and up until 2015, 2016, it was really, you know, it was it was kind of a beacon of peace in the in the region. Uh, they they're just not used to this kind of this kind of thing, unlike in uh, some other African countries. Um so no, I mean the uh, the the junta has really got broad support at the moment. But like I said before, I think uh, I think that could disappear really quickly if unless the the junta is able to to sort out the security. But it's it's it is the security that is at the heart of of things here uh, and at the heart of why the coup happened and uh, you know why the coup has 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 got broad public support at the moment.
0: Right. Um, and what do you make of this? I've seen some articles recently, and they're like, "Oh, Africa's going through um, like a coup um,
1: epidemic." What do you make of all that? It, the, <laughs> so there does seem to have been there do, does seem to have been a lot of coups in uh, in Africa in the last few uh, uh, in the last couple of years, especially. I mean, just just within the, the Sahel region, we've had. Um, Two coups in Mali. There was uh, there was this, this military coup where they installed the, uh, the the civilian president, and then we had the coup, what, what was called the coup within a coup, where they the, the military then threw out the. Um, civilian president and, and took power themselves. Then obviously we had, uh, Burkina Faso two, uh, two weeks ago. And then last week we had the, the coup in, uh, uh, Guinea Bissau, which, or attempted coup in, in Guinea Bissau, which was, uh, not linked to the Sahel conflict. I mean, many people have called Guinea Bissau, a, a a narco state because it, um, has a, uh, uh, it's a waypoint for drugs coming from South America to travel to to Europe, and it's actually understood that the that the people who uh, attacked the presidential palace in Guinea-Bissau were connected to these drugs gangs that um, that, that were smuggling, uh, you know, substances through to uh, through to Europe. So it's kind of it's it's a different of fish over there. But obviously we've had um we've had a coup in, in Sudan as well uh recently. We've had um a coup in uh Chad, which is which is linked to the to the Sahel conflict after their president was uh was killed in, in battle. Uh his son took over immediately, which was was against the the constitution. So yeah, I mean there does seem to be a uh you know, a very large number of coups when there was a trend towards democracy in Africa. Um, You know, I think to a certain degree, what's happening in Africa is is mirroring what's happening in in Europe and the West, where there is this kind of turn away from uh, from from democracy and kind of disappointment with <laughs> with what democracy is able uh, to offer and the promises that it's that it's. um uh, that it's supposed to make come come true. Uh, yeah, I think we are seeing people turning more towards autocratic uh, uh, ideas about how how things should be run. certainly that's the case in in Burkina Faso.
0: No I definitely agree. it's like a global trend and you get these kind of western think tanks or whatever, or like hyper, hyper liberal journalists are like, wow, it's so crazy that this is happening in Africa. It's like, mate, this is happening in Europe as well. It's just not at the level of instability yet where coups are happening. But no, I agree completely. This is like an endemic situation globally. And then people are trying to act like, wow, Africa's crazy. Like, no, it's it's a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's definitely true. I mean, uh, there's yeah people people here in uh in burkina faso you know they have the they have the internet on their phones now they're able to see you know what's going on in the uh in the west they're able to uh to see what's going on at home more easily as well you know everything is uh uh yeah the, the sort of global problems uh, that, that are happening all over the world not just in in africa uh, are clear to them and um yeah they're, they're skeptical about democracy like i say i've, I've been really surprised by how many people um, i've spoken to how many bukennarbis i've spoken to since the coup who uh, just just say that democracy wasn't wasn't working and don't seem to be particularly interested in in seeing it come back either
0: that is yeah i think that's a reality a lot of people um, in the west aren't ready for yet um, in terms of uh, Burkina Faso, um, is there anything else you think our listeners should know about before we go?
1: Yeah, so I mean, Burkina Faso is a it's a country in, in West Africa. It's landlocked um, on its uh, on its kind of southern borders. It's got the uh, it's got the kind of West African coastal states like Ivory Coast, uh, Ghana, uh, Benin, Togo. Then to its uh, to its east, it's got uh, Niger, where there's where this conflict is um, uh, between armed groups and the link to Islamic State and Al Qaeda is happening as well. And Mali, really the the Western Sahel conflict, which Burkina Faso is a part of, is really focused on these three countries: Mali, uh, Niger, and, and Burkina Faso, and especially the tri-border region where the borders of those three three countries um, meet. So. Uh, yeah I mean Burkina Faso is, is one of the, the poorest countries in the world um you know it's a very young country as well like the median age here is just under 18 um, you know so like a lot of Africa people here are are, are young and want to see a uh, you know better future for themselves uh, so In terms of its history, it used to be called Upper Volta, so it's the former French colony. Mm. Um, And then it had its name changed in the 80s by probably the most famous Birkinabby person uh that there is Thomas Sankara. So he yeah. Thomas Sankara is a really interesting character. He's kind of like the Shea Guevara, he's often called the Che Guevara of uh of Africa. So he um, you know, certainly dressed apart wearing like a red beret with a big gold star and sort of military fatigue. So um you know was taking uh taking some notes from from Che Guevara there and also uh uh, yeah was very anti uh was very anti-french or certainly very anti- uh, neo-colonialism i mean burkina faso became independent in the 60s but uh france the way france left um africa after colonialism just just wasn't the same as uh, as the uk or you know other sort of european countries that uh that colonized parts of africa a lot of people stayed, and a lot of the business interests uh, stayed, and uh, and France really kept a kind of hold on the former African colonies in a way that other former colonial powers just just didn't. So Thomas Sankara was. Um, was kind of a figurehead for for this really and you know uh tried to implement a lot of uh, policies that that kind of promoted self sufficiency and uh, uh yeah kind of moving away from uh, from France's kind of socialist policies as well um so that that kind of culture it's still it still pervades here in Burkina Faso people are very kind of anti french they have a very strong uh sense of their own independence burkina faso actually means the the land of the upright people like the incorruptible people and uh and people you know they they, they really take that to heart here and, uh, you know they're very they're very honest and open and uh and and upstanding um and anti-French, so yeah, it's fair uh, enough, really. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's always kind of from a security point of view. Though it's always made the fact that France is the big military partner here, uh, you know, a bit problematic. The uh, the government has. I think taken the approach that it needs the help of, of France to uh, fight this this conflict that it's that it's got going on, um, but uh, but publicly it's always been very difficult for them to say that because because the uh, you know the general population don't really like it. I think something else that's that's worth noting is that this this conflict in the Sahel in Niger. Niger, mali and and burkina faso can also be traced back to the conflict in libya so when gaddafi was removed and um and instability um started to prevail throughout libya uh that then began to spread down into mali as did a lot of the uh the weapons as well that are being used in the sahel conflict have all have all come from Mali, which have gone to these these armed groups, which are, are riding around on uh, motorbikes or massacring people now. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely been a kind of a, a chain reaction from the uh, from the whole sort of west removal of Gaddafi from uh, uh, Libya.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Um, that was really useful, mate. Thank you very, very much. Where can people find out more if they want to find your work, talk to you about the situation?
1: Yeah, just look, look me up on Twitter, um, and yeah, you can catch my catch my website as well. Just Google Burkina Faso, I guess, and uh, yeah, see what you can find out about the country. As I say, it's like it's not a place that most people have even heard of, let alone know, know anything about. So, yeah, just uh, just take a look, and because um, I, you know, I really think what what's going on here. It's uh, the Sahel conflict, I mean, a lot of people are calling it the next um, sort of major battleground for, for ISIS and, uh, and Al-Qaeda and so on. And as the security situation deteriorates here, I think we are going to see the Sahel becoming more and more of a, um, I think we're going to start seeing more and more about the Sahel in the news over the coming years.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and your Twitter, it's at uh, Henry underscore Wilkins, right?
1: Yeah, that's the one. Brilliant.
0: Okay, mate, thank you so much. Really appreciate that.
1: Okay, cheers, Jake. Thank cheers, you. Mate.
0: That was journalist Henry Wilkins talking about the recent military coup in Burkina Faso and what that might mean for the future of the conflict in the region. Definitely follow what Henry is doing. He's going into very, very deep detail on a region that is very rarely reported on like that. If you like what we're doing here at popular front please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash popular front if you subscribe you get a lot more content for your money bonus episodes extra video content early episodes narrated articles various different journalism series that we've built check it out patreon.com slash popular front remember we are 100 percent grassroots we do not accept corporate investment and we do not accept advertising from any dodgy places patreon.com slash popularfront is how we keep going thank you to our sponsors on this episode they are propagandopolis an outlet selling and writing about historical conflict propaganda from around the world by prints at propagandopolis.com use the promo code popularfront10 for 10% off also thank you to oracle coffee shop in portland oregon usa they're an independent coffee business selling only fair trade products see them at 3875 southwest bond avenue 97239 also thank you to grind core house a pair of independent coffee shops in philadelphia usa one in south one in west find them on socials at grind core house tell them popular front send you thank you very much to those sponsors Like I said, we only deal with ethical companies, people that don't fuck their workers over. So if you want to uh, sponsor some episodes of Popular Front, hit me up, jake at h11.tv email, check that out. Watch our documentaries at youtube.com/slash popular front. We're very close to 100,000 subscribers. So, if you're already subscribing, thank you very much. If not, please get on it, subscribe to it. We've got a lot more coming very soon. YouTube.com/slash popular front. If you want to keep up to date with the various going-ons regarding war and conflict around the world, follow us on Instagram at popular.front or Twitter at popularfront underscore. You can buy our merchandise, t-shirts, hats, all sorts of stuff at popularfront.shop. And if you're one of the Patreons, you will see there's a discount code option at the top of the screen. You can enter discount codes for every bit of merch there is. www.popularfront.shop Music in this episode The intro was made by Home And the outro music as always Was made by my friend and Popular Front OG team member Sam Black You can hear his music at SamBlackPF.com Now I just want to say thank you very much To the high tier Patreons Without these people This whole project would fall on its ass Basically So thank you very much to Chris Kanovich, NTHG845829 Ethan Zwick, Skeleton Problems, Champagne Anarchist, Watts, Lise Middlefire, Lewis, David McManus, Joachim Williamson Holt, Yudoye Travis, Tom Petrie, James Leons, Kate, Lisa Milgram, Bradley Davies, Brendan Crave, Drift, Pete Hesher, RX, Travis Lieberman, Cherry, Ben Marshall, Dallas Dunn, LD50Seattle K. Glitter Vulcan Meredith Waters Bethany Swoveland Adam H. Carante Bjorn Kirsten Diamond Steen Michael O'Connor Zach Picard Todd Cravens Nicholas Butter JD Jav, Ian Froese James Cully Tynan Daly Ethan Shanklin the Painter Fitz Madrid Ed Coulthard Mike Barone Liam Williams Wizard of Woz Degenerate Zero Alpha Giorgio Arani, D. R. Trey Nance, Amy R. Rubicon, Frank Austin, Amelia Me, Nawais, Nate Van Dor, Christina Rivetti, Frey Northman, Noah, Andrew Hurley, Vida Provost, Brian McLaughlin, Tom Lochrin, Young Wasabi, Tony Bin, Adam Berg-Snyder J. L. Stephen Davila, Anthony Kabarak, Dan Dunham, Fletcher, Diana Govinek. Lawrence Abrahams, Peter McCormick from What Bitcoin Did, Christopher Martin, Ryan Sandercock and Maurice Zumble. Thank you all so much. Without you, this project would not be carrying on the way it is. Much appreciated. If people want to support us, go to patreon.com slash popularfront or you can go to popularfront.co support.